been working our way through Luke chapter 1, and um, this is the third week we've been in chapter 1. But to be fair, to be fair, last week I only had like 15 minutes, and Luke chapter 1's got 80 verses, right? So this is a long chapter, but it's a beautiful chapter. And it's, it's one of really, I think one of those like stories about Christmas that goes um, ignored a little bit when it comes to like Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are, are probably the most underrated characters in the Christmas story. But yet it's so significant because they're going to give birth to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, in a miraculous way. And he's the one who is the, the forerunner who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the angel visit Zacharias at a, a, just a, a, in, in a unique, crazy way. At a key moment in Zacharias, the, the priest's life, when he's offering incense on the altar of incense. This was a big deal for the priest. This was like once in a lifetime, and it was his time. He goes in to do the sacrifice, and... An angel appears to him. He's terrified. The angel tells him, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been answered. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Zacharias doesn't believe it. So Zacharias isn't able to speak for nine months. Now, his wife, Elizabeth, won every argument in those nine months. Zacharias couldn't speak for nine months. And then when he's finally able to speak after the birth of John... He's going he's gonna to sing this song of prayer and, and prophecy and praise that we're going uh, to look at here in a moment. But before we get there, Mary, we talked about her last week. The angel visits her and he says, look, Mary, you know all those prophecies about a virgin giving birth to the Messiah? That's you. And Mary is like troubled at this. The angel tells her. Listen, all of these things, he's going to be, uh, he's going to sit on the throne of David and he, this is the Messiah. And so how many of you, you like the song, the Christmas song, Mary, did you know? It's a beautiful song, right? So sometimes people can be critical of that song. Like, what a dumb question. Of course, Mary knew. The angel told her. But to be fair, I don't think she fully understood the, the aspect of how great this prophecy was with prophecy. Many times it's, it's not as clear before it happens, right? So, so go ahead and sing the song without any guilt, all right? Sing the song if you want, if you like that song. But the angel visits Mary, tells her don't be afraid. Messiah's coming. He's going to be born. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. He's going to be on the throne of David. Well, now Mary is going to go. We pick up in verse 39. She's going to travel some 50, 60 miles um, on foot and probably riding a donkey as, as she's going to go and she's going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And, and Elizabeth, her older cousin, is going to bless her and pour into her and praise her. And I love this, this, this principle here. She's gleaning from someone older than her. My, my desire and prayer for our church is that we'll be a church that's multi-generational in the sense of that we have the old pouring into the young and we have every age group that's represented. And, and there's definitely times that are appropriate for uh, to have, you know, maybe life, different life stage groups. Like I'm not against that. And a lot of times churches do that. There's a great benefit for that. I'm not saying we won't do that in the future, but I think there's something beautiful when the church gathers, not just on Sundays, and then we gather 
in groups during the week and you have in those groups, you have those who are young, those who are old, those who are just married and those who've been married a long time, those who are single, those who are married, those that have kids, those who have, don't have kids, those who have young children, those who have grown children. And I think it's important to be able to pour into the life of others. And especially if you're older. Older is all you people that are over 40. You're older, all right? Now, in a couple years when I turn 40, we're gonna move that up to like 50. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, all right? But those that are more mature, let's put it like that. To be able to pour into those that are maybe newer to the faith or that are younger in age. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is what's happening here. Mary's traveling a great deal to get to Elizabeth, her cousin, and Elizabeth and Mary, they're pregnant at the same time. And, and so let's pick up in verse 40, uh, sorry, in verse 39, Mary arose in those days. She went to the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. So we don't know exactly where this is. It's in the, the area of Judah in that region. She's going to meet with Elizabeth. And so she enters the house of Zacharias and she saluted or greeted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me? The mother, that the mother of my Lord. So this is the first person recorded in the New Testament who calls Jesus Lord is Elizabeth. Calling Jesus her Lord while he's still in the womb. She says, blessed is the fruit of the womb. Where is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So this is important. And some may look at this as a political statement, but it's actually a biblical statement is that Luke, the physician, highly educated physician is referring to to this baby in the womb as a person. And we know that because the next chapter, when he's talking about Jesus being born and put in the manger, so after birth, he uses the same word, baby, baby. So Luke is saying, listen, the baby in the womb, that is an actual person. And God is the God of life, the God of living. Yes, we live in a fallen world and there's death all around us. But we as God's people should stand for life, both inside and outside the womb. Amen. We have the God of life. And by the way, it's not just biblical, but it's a scientific fact as well. But that's not the sermon today. So let's keep going. Verse 45. Blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So she is blessed because she believes. She's blessed because she believes. Now we're going to look at this beautiful prayer of Mary. This beautiful song of praise and rejoicing. And here's what's important to know before we look at this. That Mary has a lot, a great deal of things that could have her stressed. A great deal of things that could have her worried. Her reputation is at stake. Her relationship with Joseph is at stake. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot that she could be fearful of. But instead of focusing on that worry, she turns that focus towards her worship. 
She says that my soul is going to magnify the Lord in verse 46. My soul that magnify the Lord. So magnify, when you, when you look at, when you magnify something, you take a magnifying glass, right? You're focusing on it. You're examining it. It's appearing to be big. It's just, well, my soul's going to magnify. My focus is going to be to my Lord. And maybe today, honestly, you have a great deal to worry and to be stressful and anxious about. Now, this is a unique situation, right? This is Mary, the, the one who's the, the, gonna, the virgin who's going to give birth to the Messiah. And so this is a one-time, unique, miraculous situation. However, there's a lot in your life today that probably has you anxious and worried and stressed out about. I, I mean, just this time of year. It just, it stresses people out and scientific uh, uh, or different studies, right, of, of people that have done like this time of year. It's when people are under the most anxiety and stress. And maybe you can relate because you look at all the things that need to get done and you look at how much time you have and it doesn't seem like you have enough time to do it. Now, sometimes that stress can be self-inflicted, right? We just don't know how to say no to things. We don't know how to say no to people. We don't know how to manage things better. But, but look, there's just times in life, and maybe for you, it's like, it, it's not the holidays. That's just how you've been living for a long time, right? You just have so much on your plate. You have so much that has to get done. There's maybe a lot that could have you fearful, a lot that could have you stressed out about. Maybe during the holidays, this is a time of stress and anxiety for you. This would be the first Christmas without someone that you love dearly. And just thinking about that is bringing anxiety. Maybe it's not the first. Maybe it's one of many that are going to be without someone, a loved one that you wish was there. And just you, you, you look forward with anxiety and fear and, and some sadness over someone that won't be there. And during this holiday time, it just seems like that's a time that can really just bring up those memories. And it's, it's, they're, both, they're both joyful, but yeah, also filled with grief at the same time. Like they're joyful, you love the memories you have with those people, with your loved ones, maybe with a parent, maybe with a, a, a child who's not here anymore, maybe with a, a friend, a brother, a sister, someone that you miss so greatly. And honestly, it, it just, it, it, you're anxious, you're fearful, you're worried, you're, you're saddened over that. It's a stressful time. It can be a very stressful time. But Mary also has a lot she could be worried about, a lot she could be anxious about. But what she does is she turns that worry into worship. And and, and I'm not saying that as Christians, we're not going to struggle with those things. We can and do. I'm not saying you're not even a good Christian if you don't struggle with those things at times. With having anxiety, having worry. But yet, I think if we do what Mary does, that we can take some of that anxiety and some of that stress and some of that depression off. Because our focus isn't magnifying those things we're stressed out about. But it's a magnifying God. We need to recognize that God is over all of those things. And here's a great truth to remember if you're stressed out. And that's this. That God is God. And you're not. I mean that truth alone. Because here's what I mean by that. 
Some of the things that have us the most stressed about are things that are absolutely beyond our control. We can't do anything about it because sometimes it's talk, we're talking about changing someone's heart. Changing a circumstance that's beyond our control. Now, sometimes there are things in our control, and I don't mean that like in control, like that we're over God in any way. I just mean there's certain responsibilities that we can't push off, right? Because sometimes, sometimes we're stressed because we're like procrastinators. Anybody like that? You wait till the last second, and then it's this big emergency. And it didn't have to be an emergency. But you wait. How many of you, like, those people stress you out because they're not stressed when they should be? Right, so sometimes it's self-inflicted. Sometimes. So we're not talking about pushing off responsibility. We're not talking about throwing responsibility on someone else and then making them stressed out just because that we didn't plan or that we pushed off responsibility. There's certain things that God told us to do. We need to do those things, right? There's certain things where even... Even sometimes we bring stress on ourselves because of our own sin. Because we're not following God's word. Like God tells us a clear path of live this way, do these things. Not in the sense that we're earning salvation. But this is God's plan. This is God's way. And then we go a different way. And that can cause some stress. And I'm not really talking about those things today though. And I'm not saying that those things don't apply. But, but many times it's like we can overcome that stress by simply repenting of our sin, by following God's way, by doing things how God tells us to do them, right? But we're talking about things that are beyond our control. Maybe that's where you are today. You feel just so stressed and anxious and worried. Maybe, maybe the anxiety is coming, uh, coming in, in, in during this time because you're going to be with family that just stresses you out. Anybody got family members like that? It's just stressful to be around them. Hopefully not the family member by you if you're by family. But extended, extended, yeah, they're elbowing each other. I'm my extended family, all right? And maybe that's got you stressed out. Maybe you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. And you know you're going to be with family members that aren't. And look, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we... We should have, that should change our relationships. We should show love and grace. We shouldn't be the ones always picking a fight and antagonizing people. But look, sometimes though, it's not that you're trying to, to antagonize anyone. They're the ones that are antagonizing you. They know you're a believer. They're not. And, and you feel like, man, how is this, how is this even going to go? It's stressful when we get together because we try to be loving and kind. And, but yet there's this clash of worldviews and maybe that's what has you worried. Maybe what has you worried is wondering, is anybody even going to care? Will this be a lonely holiday season? Will people want me to even be there? Will there be anybody to even gather with? And for some, the holidays, a time when for a lot of people, it's rejoicing and celebrating big gatherings. Maybe you're stressed and worried because you wonder, Will there be any of that? Do people care? Am I even noticed? What I'm simply saying is, look, I don't know what exact situation that, that's caused maybe to bring anxiety and some worry in your life right now. I wouldn't even begin to guess exactly what that is for you. But it's there and it's real. 
And Mary has a lot of things she could stress about. But instead, what does she do? Her focus is going to be on God. She's going to magnify the Lord. She says, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. So she recognizing, recognizes this, that God is her Savior. That God rules, that he reigns, that he is the Savior. He delivers and he saves when we can't save ourselves. We'll talk a little bit uh, on Friday night at our Christmas Eve service. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, but I'm going to go back a little bit to um, Zacharias' prophecy when he talks about the Messiah being the horn of salvation. And what that term means is that we have a God that is mighty, that God is our Savior. And we would have much to rejoice about today if we remembered that we have a Savior. We, fallen sinners, who deserve nothing but God's wrath, have experienced God's grace. Because he, our God, he is our Savior. She says he is good, even when we're not worthy. He says, for he hath regarded the lowest state. He says, verse 49, he that is mighty hath done to me great things. She's saying, look, my God is a God who is good. And maybe here today you feel like, well, I am not worthy. May I remind us, none of us are worthy. But God is good and gracious anyway. Look at the goodness of God. Look at the blessings of God. And those things don't always result in, look at the material things that we have. But if we just look at that alone, and maybe you're here, you're really struggling. Maybe some of that stress is, look, and we know Christmas isn't about the, the gifts and, and it becomes very commercialized. It has been for some time. But there is an aspect of, of just fun tradition of gift giving. Like it's one of those things. It's not, you know, necessarily right or wrong with gift giving. It's just one of those things that can be a fun thing. Sure, it can be, turn into something bad, but it also can be something good. That tradition of gift giving. And, and, and maybe for you, you're stressed because you wish you had the means to be able to give gifts. Maybe to your children or to your family, to your friends. You wish you could be generous, but you're in a really, really tight spot financially right now. And maybe that has caused some anxiety and grief. But may I, I remind us, so I don't say this unsympathetically, but, but for, for most of us living in the United States, when we compare to most of the world, look, we are a very blessed people. We're a very blessed people. My father used to say this all the time. He said, here in America, we throw away more food than most of the world enjoys and can eat on a daily basis. We have, been, we have been blessed. And again, I'm not saying God's blessing is always a material blessings, but when we look at all the good things God has given us, the provisions that God's given to us, God has been good to us. He's saying that he is good. He has done for me great things. Holy is his name. She's saying God is holy. God is holy, and he's extended mercy in verse 50, because if it was just holiness, we would be fearful to be in the presence of a holy God, we as sinners. But yet, God is holy. But she says his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. God is also merciful, because we all need that mercy, amen? We all need, and God's mercy, it is God not dealing with us in a way that would be just. But yet God is merciful. He is a merciful God. 
He is strong when we're weak. Verse 51 and 52 says that he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their imaginations of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. This is saying our God is mighty. Our God is strong. We sang that song about, about talking about the Messiah who will reign forever. More. One of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible is when Daniel, when you look at the book of Daniel and these prophecies of these kingdoms that rise and they fall. Some of these kingdoms are like powerful, powerful kingdoms. People like Alexander the Great and these mighty conquerors. It, what does Daniel say? They rise and they fall. They come and they go. Kings and kingdoms will one day all be forgotten except the kingdom of Christ, that our Messiah reigns and he'll reign forevermore. That our God is great. Our God is strong. In the times when we feel weak, which by the way, sometimes we have the illusion of strength. We think that we're strong. And then there's other times we just recognize, no, I don't have any strength in this situation. I don't have any power to, to be able to change this. And that's actually a great place to be. Because then you're the best candidate of, of, of accepting and seeing God's strength in your life. That our God is strong. Our God rules and reigns. And we, we have much we could be fearful about looking at the world around us. And, and I'm not saying there's not things that we shouldn't be concerned about. And some things that we shouldn't like know and be aware of what's going on. But, but be reminded. Be reminded. We know that our king rules and reigns. That he is seated on the throne. That yes, he came humbly as a baby. He lived a righteous, perfect life. He died for our sins. They nailed him to a Roman cross. But then he rose from the dead and ascended and is seated in heaven and rules and reigns. And he is in control. Mary's saying that he is great. He exalts and he brings down. He exalts and he brings down. The people that are boasting about how much power they have and how they're in control and they have all this power. They have no power except what God has given to them. He provides. Not only is he strong, but he provides. It says that he has filled, verse 53, the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 54 says he has, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. So what we see is this. She's also looking back. She's looking up about, looking at God's power and saying, I'm going to magnify God. I'm going to look at God's strength. And then she's saying, I'm going to look back and see God's working and God's faithfulness. Zacharias is going to do the same thing. We'll look at it in a moment. But we see that like God keeps his promises God keeps his promises. How many of you have ever had, had someone promise you something and they didn't fulfill that promise? Any of you ever buy a warranty on anything? You know about broken promises, right? Oh, the, all these promises of all these things. And then when it comes time when you need it, it's like, oh, the, you know, they, they find a way to, to get out of it. Well, you know what? We have a lot of broken promises. We ourselves have broken promises. And maybe not intentionally. Any of you ever promise your kids something you have every intention of doing it? 
But circumstances beyond your control come up and you're not able to fulfill that. And that happens in this fallen world. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take, take our word serious and be careful not to overpromise things. We should, but, but ultimately as fallen humans, we're going to break promises. We're going to have promises broken to us. But God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his word. Theologians have estimated somewhere between three to up to 400 promises that God gives to his people and his word. And we can have confidence and assurance in God's promises. Why? Because God has always kept his word. The beautiful, beautiful story of Christmas is that at the right perfect time, the Messiah would come into the world. That Jesus would come. Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. And we see that at Christmas, the story of Christ and the story of Christ's birth, all of these prophecies, all of these promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it gives us confidence that God's word is true, that God keeps his promises. And Mary, though she has much distress about, much to fret about, is saying, I'm going to magnify God. I'm going to look to God because he is strong. He is mighty. He is merciful. And he keeps his word. Verse 57 now picks up. It says, when Elizabeth's full time came, that she should be delivered, she brought forth a son. So that she's giving birth to John. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. And they rejoiced with her. So people are rejoicing this miraculous birth of John. And it says it came to pass the eighth day. So when they're coming to now circumcise the child as was customary. They, 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 they said, well, let's call his name Zacharias after his father. But his mother said, no, not so. His name will be called John. This is what the angel had told them. This is what God had told them. And they said to her, there's no kindred that is called by his name. She's saying, look, are, are you sure you don't want to name him Zacharias? Like, there's no, no other one named after your husband. And this is a, this is a miracle. You're not going to have another baby. This is amazing in and of itself. Are you sure? And then Zacharias uh, has them bring something for him to write. And he wrote the name John, it says his name, verse 63, is John. It says they marveled. They all marveled. They were amazed at this. And now Zacharias, after not being able to talk for nine months, now is able to speak. His tongue was loose. And what does he do? He praises God. And now you see this beautiful song, this beautiful prophecy of Zacharias speaking. And in this prophecy... He's going to go from talking about the Messiah, Jesus, and then also talking about his baby that he's holding, John. But Zacharias is now going to also praise and speak praise to God and, and, and speak this song of praise. Verse 67, it says, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He's saying God has visited his people. Now when we hear that God's visited or somebody's visited, it may not mean as much to us, but this is far more than just, oh, I'm going to pay you a visit to visit here. He's talking about God has looked upon us, that God has come to help us in a very dark time. 
The, the, the theologians call it the 400 silent years when there wasn't a prophet of God that had spoken. The last prophet to speak was Malachi, who was prophesying about John, the baptizer, who would come. And now, after 400 silent years, God miraculously steps in. And John the Baptist is born. And John the Baptist is going to be the one who's going to prepare the way for Christ. John the Baptist didn't show up doing miraculous works. But John the Baptist showed up in power. In fact, we learned two weeks ago that he had the same power and spirit like Elijah the prophet. And he was going to be the one that would preach the kingdom of God is here. And preach repentance and preach and point people to Jesus the Messiah. And John was so bold and so courageous that they couldn't shut him up. Finally, Herod cut his head off. That's the only way he could silence John the baptizer. And John was going to be what's called the forerunner of Christ. Where he was going to come and preach and prepare the way. For the Messiah. Zechariah now is prophesying about the, that Messiah. He said he has visited his people and redeemed his people. So when we hear that word redeemed, we think theological term, as we should, right? That we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It means to be purchased. That we who are sinners, we who are slaves to sin, have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. But at this time, it would have been used as an economical term. See, at this time, there were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And the only way a slave could be freed was if someone would purchase that redemption price for them to be free. And Zacharias is saying that we have been redeemed. We who are slaves to sin have been purchased by the blood of Christ. That we have been, we will be redeemed by Jesus so Zechariah is prophesying, he's praising, he's saying we have been visited, we'll be redeemed. He says that God has raised up a horn of salvation. This is a symbol of strength. We'll talk more about this on Friday. But basically it's saying God is a mighty God and, and, and he has come to save us. He, rem, he reminds us in verse 72 and 73, just like we talked about already with Mary, that, that God keeps his promises he says that we should be saved from, the, from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. God keeps his word. And he says, why? Why are we redeemed? Why are we saved that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias is saying we're going to be redeemed for a purpose. That God will save us for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him all the days of our life. And that is what is the beauty of, of the gospel. The beauty of those who are redeemed. When God saves us, he saves us to serve him. And I love seeing that. And I love seeing that here in our church to see those who, who didn't know the Lord, who now come to faith and trust in Christ and now are serving God with their life. Because that's what happens when we meet the Lord. There's a change. We have new desires and we go from, from, from being slaves of sin and servants to sin to serving Christ. And Zacharias is saying that we've been redeemed to serve 
all the days of our life. May all of our days be filled with praise and service to God. One of the things that brings so much grief is when we see people who at one point in their life, they, were, they claim that they were a follower of Christ. And ultimately, look, I don't know and I'm not the judge. God knows who, who are his and who aren't. God knows those who are believers and, and who aren't. And ultimately, he's the one who knows who are true believers. But it's a grief to see people who at one time served God, who one time were following God, and now they're not. Because to serve God, it should be to serve him all of our days, for all of our life. And ultimately, we see this truth in Scripture that true saving faith is an enduring faith. That those who are truly saved are going to endure. They are going to press on enduring the darkest of storms. However, that being said, there could be a time. Maybe you're there today. A time in your life when you're not serving and following God like you know that you should. Maybe it's a time when you've, when just for whatever reason, that passion for God isn't what it once was. And ultimately that... You and God know where you are if you're truly a child of God. But I think for some, they're truly a believer. They're truly a child of God, but they're going through maybe a, a season of life or a time in life when they're not serving God like maybe they once were. And maybe you find yourself there today and I bring you a word of hope and encouragement, not of shame and condemnation. That serving God, following God is for all of your days. Come back to that place of where, where you once were and your service and love for God. And here's the thing. Maybe you're at that point where you're not serving God and following him like you were. Know this. You are just as loved. You are just as cherished. You, you, you are just as, as valuable as you've ever been. Because God's love for us isn't based on what we do or don't do. Amen. It's based on his mercy and his grace. However, However, to follow God, God has saved us and redeemed us to serve him, to follow him, to love him. Zacharias is saying that this is a beautiful time. He, we are going to be redeemed to serve him without fear. For how long? He says in verse 75, for all the days of our life. He says, thou child. Now he's, it seems like he's shifting and now talking about John. His son, who he's holding in his arms. He's saying, you'll be called the prophet of the highest. You're going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remissions of their sins. Through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. There's that word again. God has visited us this dark time, but now the light is breaking. The Messiah is coming and John, you're going to be the one to prepare the way. The light has come at a time of great darkness and a great silence. God has spoken. God has visited his people. God has kept his promises. And that darkness is breaking and light is coming in to the world. And Zacharias can do nothing but offer up a song of prayer and praise to God. For the birth of his son John and for what will then we'll look at on Friday, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, who's come to be the savior of the world. Look, today, maybe you're really struggling with some anxiety. Maybe there's a lot that could cause you to fear, 
a lot that has made you feel lonely. There's a lot that has made you feel sad and depressed. And I'm just saying, look, we stand with you. We stand with you because all of us, myself included, have been there. But what I am saying is this today. You know what? If you take that magnifying glass and you're focused upon all of those things that could cause that fear and cause that anxiety, you're never going to have that peace. You're never going to have that joy. But if you take that magnifying glass and look at your God, your Savior, the one who sees you and knows your need and has visited you, who comes to help you, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted with those things. Focus on Christ. Focus on God and who he is and his purpose for you. Because our God has saved us to serve him all of our days. God keeps his promises. We can rest in that and be assured of that. Let's take a moment and pray as our heads are bowed.